0: This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, you're listening to the You Can Adopt podcast with me, Ashley John-Baptiste. If you don't know, I am a BBC journalist and presenter and I get the incredible delight to host this special episode. Now, the themes of this podcast are really significant to me because I grew up in care. As a child, I lived across four different foster homes, and also a residential care home in South London. That said, guys, I am now a dad. And so, like many of us, I find myself obsessed with the concept of family, its nuances, and what it means for all of us today. It's these thoughts of mine that make hosting this chat such a privilege. And for this special episode, we're welcoming Jamal to the podcast to talk about his experience growing up, the people around him during his formative years, and his sense of identity. Jamal, how are you?
2: Hi there, I'm all right. I'm uh, ready to have a good chat with you.
1: Yeah, well look, thanks so much for
2: talking to me and and with our listeners,
1: because look, I I should say that we are uh, having a chat virtually, but I have seen into your bedroom and without giving too many spoilers, (laughs) you clearly are a gamer because of the equipment in your room. And I also see that you like comic books. Oh yes. And where are you
2: based, Jamal? So I'm based up in Leeds, in the north of England, West Yorkshire. Nice. I've been there pretty much my whole life now. had brief stints in Wakefield, spent about eight months of the last year in Newcastle, just to uh, see what it was like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so back in Leeds now, ready. I've just finished my uh, music production degree about two weeks ago. Love that. And uh, just ready to hit the ground running, running in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So we've got you as a gamer and a musician. You're based up <laughs> north. I'm based down south in London. So I think between us, we represent the nation, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah,
2: something like that.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, look, um, I mentioned that I grew up in care and that I had five moves. I was, I was moved between four foster homes and also a residential care home. And yes, there was some incredible sort of cherished childhood memories but actually there's no skirting around the fact that it was a tough childhood yeah. I don't think any child is meant to you know sort of be uprooted from a family and move between different ones so that was tough but I'm really I'm really happy in terms of where I am today the way I navigated that space tell us a bit about your in life
2: so my story starts when I was born really I was under the radar pretty much from from birth and only spent about 2 years with my birth mother as uh, I had previous brothers and sisters that were taken away from her uh, much older dates and then mm-hmm. I was put into a foster home to be honest with you my in those years it's all a bit foggy and I didn't really understand it all until I got hold of my files but then I was adopted at about three to uh, two lovely women, which uh, looked after me my whole life and still do. As Any parent will tell you, it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> and how old are you now, Jamal? I am 25 now. Well, yeah. just about to turn 25 now. Just getting used to the idea.
1: <laughs> I think that's remarkable that you still have a relationship with your parents because you know when you're in care it's it is often more often than not cut short and so to have that bond still must be remarkable
2: yeah I mean it is one of the bonds that is probably taken the most time and has been the most up and down in my life throughout the years especially in those teenage years where you are trying to find yourself and find who you are and obviously being mixed race and being brought up in a very white home was hard to find my own culture where I came from but they they did try everything in their power to thrust me in as we do live very close to things like Carnival, West Indian Centre and so I was always doing things like steel pans and get really getting into my music and so they were the ones that really promoted my Background in music, to be fair, which created a massive part of my identity growing up and became one of the biggest crutches growing up to stabilize me through life and keep me going because it was the first thing that made me me. But in saying that, (laughs) later in life, I did find it was a running theme in my birth family that a lot of my birth family were musicians. And it's. Oh, wow. And then you start thinking about these questions of nurture and nature and. Is that something that was nurtured into me or was yeah. it nature that I was always going to get into the music in the end? That is so astonishing.
1: And I'm so sorry to cut you because I, um, I don't have a great relationship with my biological father. However, mm-hmm. I met him in my mid-20s okay. and I found out that he was an avid bass player. Okay. Now, I, I am also a really passionate musician. <laughs> so I play the piano. I produce for a long time. I write. Oh, really? I perform. I sing. And and so when I when I when I found out that he loved the bass, and then I subsequently found out that I had siblings and that a lot of them were mu- musical. Again, like you, it was that thing of is this nature versus nurture? But yeah, there must have been something in my blood.
2: The way your brain's wired always lent towards create. Because as a kid, I was always very creative. I always lent towards like finger painting and creating things out of lego and yeah. doing the more creative side i was never too good with the uh hard education until i got into more secondary school and then i loved science
1: <laughs> already read you've said so much and i have no idea where this chat's going to go because <laughs> you said so much that i just find so poignant and interesting but i think i don't want to make a presumption i'm assuming that your your adoptive parents are white.
2: Yes, they are both white, yes, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I'm referring to them as your parents, but but how would you articulate that relationship?
2: It's actually quite weird. It's, uh, there's always a funny memory that we always think of as a family. And it was um, because I call one of them mum and then the other one by their first name. Wow. And um, because it's like, because it's two women, you you, you don't have that mum and dad dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, one of the, one of the memories is uh, when we were in the uh, adoption court when we were signing the papers. I was like three and a half at this point, and it's one—it's the first memory I think I have of them. Mm. They were like, "So, so, so, what are you gonna call them?" And I go, "I'll call her mum," and I'll call, her. and I just decided to list off her full biblical, biological, birth certificate name, government name. <laughs> Very impressive for a three-year-old. Yeah, which uh, gave them a bit of a chuckle, <laughs> to say the least.
1: I'm interested to know. I've I've never lived with a same-sex couple, but um, mm-hmm. was it hard to know who to call mum and who to call by their by their name?
2: I never had that kind of conflict until I got into high school when the questions were starting to be asked. But in that early stages, it wasn't really. Uh, an issue because a lot of their friends were same-sex couples so there was a lot of same-sex male couples around me same-sex female couples around me yeah a lot of heterosexual couples as well so the whole thing was very normalized
1: there's the same sex dynamic which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. the naming's also really interesting to me because i suppose i'd imagine that you felt closer to the person you called mum is that is that the case or not
2: bizarrely not the case Wow. Because at the time when I was adopted, only one could sign as your actual parent in a same-sex adoption. I see. One was your actual parent and one was like a carer by law or something like that. So, because obviously uh, same-sex rights and all that hadn't come to where they are now and all that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Different time, early 2000s. Wow. I think just because of that, I think as a three-year-old, I kind of latched on to, oh, The papers say she's my parents, I'll just call her mum. Because I was calling her that before we'd cemented relationship. I was just like told that that's the person I need to call mum. As you are when you are, you get adopted, you are told this is the person you call mum, this is the person you call dad.
1: And how was it for you having a same-sex couple as your adoptive family?
2: Well, it was fine growing up, but it was when you get into those teenage years, you start needing that... Well, I didn't realise at the time, I realise upon reflection in my 20s now, but you do start needing that male role model to, and it is something that I did struggle with was how, to, how do I be a man? Do you know what I mean? How do I do these stereotypical man things? Because it's not like I've had it around me 100% of the time. So that is one thing I did want to ask you about, actually. Did you know who your dad was? I didn't. Or did you just, did it just get Lumped on you at a random point. I didn't know.
1: Um, I, it was in my mid twenties that I met him. Actually, I didn't for a long time want to meet him because I had a sense of
2: I know that feeling.
1: What he had done to you know my mum. He never made an effort to reach out, and and so there was a sense of whilst I had this deep curiosity and all of these questions, there was also just this sense of I am not going to do this until I feel ready. Um, and have the space to do it. So it's almost in a paradox.
2: Well, until the identity is sorted out, do you know what I mean? You need to have that Mm. identity, that secure sense of self.
1: My questions about my identity came from everywhere. You know, I recently did a BBC documentary about my personal journey of finding out that I had siblings later on in life. So I grew up in the care system, Jamal, not knowing that I had had siblings. I only found out later on in life.
2: That's where I differ slightly. In that I had I knew I always knew I had siblings and up until I was about six, seven ish, we had like meetups put in place because we were all in various parts of Yorkshire so we had mm. various meetups and they ended up fizzling out. What significance did they bear on your identity, Jamal? Well, it was at the time, I think it was just because I was so young and I'd put such powerful mental blocks on the whole of, like events and family and those kinds of matters whenever we did meet up it was always that kind of weird awkward 10 minutes and then we just turn into little kids again and it was always the problem with it was because it wasn't a constant thing and it was always like something that was built up to that was coming that once or twice a year you could tell by my behavior, my moods, the way I interacted with people, that something was coming up, and it always triggered a lot of like PTSD type emotions every time a meetup was coming up, or I knew that something was coming up,
1: so just to be clear, sorry, just so that I understand um so you you were you had some form of contact with your siblings whilst in adoption, yeah, and did you ever seek out your birth parents
2: in that time no. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, way too painful to even talk about. I think I only started really looking at my history in, once I turned 18. Yeah, I think I just rode the roller coaster of life up until then and just let those emotions kind of navigate who I was, unfortunately. And I think it was when I did become 18 and you have that kind of, oh, you're an adult now, I started thinking, right, I need to kind of get a hold of all of this and get a sense of who I am. You are in adoption. Yeah.
1: And clearly like so many care experienced people, that's both, you know, foster care or adoption, there's a sense of associating trauma um with your birth family and, and that's understandable. What was your sense of identity like as a young person in adoption?
2: Well, it's a difficult one because you always especially in those early years, mm. I, I didn't really know anyone who was also an adopted person or later in life, I find out they are adopted because everyone, no one's very open with it as we, as we know, but you always go through early life thinking no one around you knows what you're going through. No one around you is in yeah. foster care. No one's adopted and it's just kind of you. Well, I, I'm, I'm guessing you would have had a different experience of that, being in various foster homes because you will have been around other people in that scenario but I mean for me personally I just felt quite isolated in my emotions and I didn't feel normal for having the emotions that I did have at an early age oh I'm sorry to hear that it was it was a lot of feeling of trying to change my behavior to try and fit in as much as I could but by doing that you stand out more do you know what I mean
1: (laughs) how about your your parents I mean how did you how did you connect with them? Did you feel as if that was your family? Did you feel a sense of
2: security with them? Well, it was it was a weird one actually. It was uh so mm. when I first came home, uh obviously you still have your maternity leave and all of that stuff when you have a adopted child. But they obviously they didn't spend it they didn't do it together. So I spent the first few months with one parent with one working and then they swapped over. Which then in early life, because obviously when you come into an adoptive family, you want that stability to latch on to the changes yes. really start affecting you. Even the littlest of changes can really affect you. So spending those first few weeks with the first parent was amazing because we just we just bonded completely and we just got this sense of mother and child. Which is funnily enough not the one that I call mother uh, or mum. So we just we had this ridiculously strong bond from day one, and then it came that time where I had to swap over. She had to go back to work during the day, and it was time to spend time with the mother that I call mum. Yeah. Um. And then obviously for me at that age was it was quite a big change to, and it just bred a lot of problems and issues and. So I mean I had that strong sense of identity at first and then it changed and then I had to get used to the new scenario but as as you grow up you mature through it the the sense of identity did start to present itself a lot more as a lot more of the black side of my family were it much more in my life
1: talk to me about that so you're you're in adoption but you're still in touch with biological members from the black side because that's rare right there, there are a lot of people in adoption who lose all contact with their biological family
2: yeah the contact with the with the siblings it did it always brought up a lot of questions for me and it was always the time I would start asking questions and stuff like yeah. that about where what's my heritage where do I come from like why am I the color that I am mm. like, why am I not like as dark as my siblings so in the case quite similar with uh, your father up until i'm still at the point where i don't know who my father is but um and mm. I, I don't think that's a question that will be answered
1: i mean that point there of not knowing your father yeah it's a biggie we're talking about identity here that i presume is a big one
2: no it's a it's i i think it, it comes back to why the father figure things were, it's always been quite a thing for me in life because I've always been surrounded by strong women in my life and but I've never yeah. had well I've had father figures in my life don't get me wrong and I've, I love them to bits it's I've always known who my birth mother was from my files but it's mm. the thing that the system has never been able to provide me
1: so are you saying that you don't even know the identity of who your dad is like
2: no I have, I have no idea. There is, I mean, in the in the case, there is various stories that are written down as to possibilities as to who my father is, but it's not a set in stone. So
1: there is no way you could trace him down, even if you wanted to. Is that what you're saying?
2: I, d- I, d- I don't think so. But I mean, I think the only way would be to go through the birth mother route, which for me is uh not something i would be prepared to do i mean it's an aspect of my life that i don't really think i uh want to dig too deep i'm good knowing the knowledge enough for me to get by in life but it's from the things i've heard from siblings i don't think it's a good route
1: <laughs> i'm i'm not here obviously on this podcast to dish oh. out advice so, i mean this is this is a chat but one thing i can say is you know yeah you have to follow your gut you you know and what I mean by that is if you don't feel like you're ready to meet a biological relative yeah do not do it and I always had that rule I, I always even I mean even in my early 20s hearing people say do you not want to know who your dad is do you don't want to know who I suppose some part of me did
2: yeah you always get people asking that <laughs>
1: the over yeah you do but the overwhelming feeling was no I'm not ready yeah. to do that and actually if you If you try and force that sort of connection, it can do more harm than good. This whole episode is about yeah. identity, identity you know of an adopted person and how we make sense with who yeah. we are with all the sort of fragments of our past I mean how do you how do you surmise you know your sense of self when you may not be able to find out who your dad is, and there are all these areas of, of 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 inconsistency
2: you might have uh captured it right at the beginning of the podcast there i think my biggest sense of identity and what i would say character building came from my love of film comics stories mm. it's something that at this point in my life i've learned that a lot of adopted people love to do is lose themselves in a story in another world and just be in living in that world and just fully encompass every sense into that it's, i think it's why i i'm so drawn to gaming as well you probably told by my t-shirt that you saw earlier is uh batman has always been a big character in my life and a big a big point of what i would like to be do you know what i mean that sense of one man that, it doesn't matter who's behind that mask of adoption grief or being a hero or whatever it could be anyone and we can all bring out that inner strength that inner courage and overcome those odds and i always think of that bane scene when his spine gets broken and oh (laughs) and it's like he's in that cave and he's just he's building and he's building he's getting the information he's watching that tv he's seeing it all crumble and it's like that's how i felt when i got my files back and Was looking at what my actual history was.
1: Refer to your files quite a bit. We will come back to that. But on that point of sort of your sense of identity, would you say that the characters that you've come across in the games, in the stories, would you say that they're as significant as the people, the real people in your
2: life? Just as significant, if not more significant, because they were the spaces that I had to reflect on my own. Try and imprint my own traits into these people and see how they coped with these situations and then look at the situations I was in and put their knowledge and how they approach stuff and it's like i, I, I always come back to that the Batman of of how he he will never use the gun in his in his fights he's always just clean in what he does and it's
1: it sounds like those are the characters that give you your sense of hope. It sounds like that's where you get your strength, your sense of hope and an and
2: energy. It's the characters that are on a journey that uh, I always think one of my favourite books ever being The Hobbit. And it's about characters on a journey that have to overcome and get to a point that that notion of overcoming has become such a part of yeah. my identity as an adopted person because it's such a thing that we, it's not overcome it, but we have to accept that it's a part of our lives. But that is
1: quite a bittersweet thing to hear yeah. you say. Um, and I'm speaking as someone who's also grown up in care because that feeling of establishing that your sense of security comes from characters that, you know, will never be as real as a mum, a dad, a friend, a brother or sister. I mean, how do you reconcile, how do you reconcile that the fact that, you know, the spaces where you draw strength from actually are not real spaces, and 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 where you know, is it the same? That do do you do you have a sense of wanting to cultivate some some real life relationships in the same part way that I've
2: missed out there, and quite a key mm-hmm. part is the figures that introduce me to these stories and characters. <laughs> so the thing that's, every night it were growing up it was a case of reading stories together with my mum and she would help me get lost in these characters and she would explain the good and the bad and and how these related to real life because i mean my uh, One of my doctor's mums didn't have the greatest starts in lives either. So me and it's Mm -hmm. the one that I very much relate to. And she introduced me to the this notion of characters can be a really good way to find who you are in the world. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Even in the friendships that I hold now, we're all massive comic book nerds gaming nerds all of that stuff we all love and the one thing that we all love is the aspect of this storyline that you can put in your own morals in it sounds like
1: what you're touching on is the power of story you know the power of a story and when we can find ourselves in a story in a narrative that has a strong positive outcome that can literally change Definitely. the course of our life and you know many find their story in their family right they their sense of who they are who they belong to and that basis gives them a sense of where they're going and for you what's been incredible is that you've you've had a mum who has you know been a touch point to your story she has helped you find positive spaces where you can determine your own trajectory and I think on this point of identity I mean I've I've found it in people I have found it in sort of the passions I have, the community that I now have around me. I now have, you know, my own family. I have two beautiful girls and a partner. And and, and actually, there's a sense of story in that Definitely. because I now have a narrative of who I am and where I'm going based on my connection. And actually, it's really inspiring and, and to hear you talk about how you have found yourself in story. I, I suppose, though, with every story, there are unanswered questions, right?
2: Oh, of course. That's why you always need a sequel. <laughs> my question to you is, Is how is your
1: relationship with your birth parents and your birth siblings now? So
2: through the teens, and it's, it's funny, because I've only just in the past 12 months reconnected with my siblings. So throughout, so from about eight, nine onwards up until about a year ago, we weren't really in contact and we all referred to it as that time where you needed to find yourself where none of us really communicated with each other we all lost each other's numbers contact details it all got lost in the ether and we kind of I think got buried in that whole we're in the new family we're just going to make this work all of that stuff and years go by a lot of years go by and uh, we end up meeting about a year ago. Find I've, I've got myself a little nephew, which I, I am <laughs> oh, do love kids. Wow. So that was uh, a very big happy point for me. <laughs> it's remarkable what you're saying, because
1: in many senses, it was your birth family that brought up a lot of your trauma, as you said at the start of this conversation. But now they sound like such a positive part of who you are yeah what an incredible journey that is for you
2: a massive source of my happiness now upon like initial conversations with my brother we'd both bought the ps5 on the same date and like the first three games that we would bought for the ps5 all the same games oh, stuff wow. like that and you're just like <laughs> okay this is, is this is a bit weird
1: <laughs> <laughs> but i have to say it's such a beautiful thing that one not only do you know your siblings but two there are shared interests and you can really bond over the things that you're passionate about that that is such a gift
2: I do I do feel quite lucky in that sense I must say because uh you obviously you do hear stories and they're not as sound as you'd want them to be yeah
1: well in my case you know I I in this documentary that I refer to uh you know BBC mm-hmm. split up in care life without siblings I now have an awareness yeah. of who my siblings are and there are some amicable conversations I've had but we certainly don't meet up and, you know, play music together or spend Christmas with
2: each other. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's not quite like that. I mean, we do have our moments where we uh, butt heads, but
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really reassuring. That's like most siblings. Any normal sibling will have that, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it, and that's the thing. It's it, and and I think when we had our one of our first arguments, we all said, "I've never felt so normal." <laughs> <laughs> and
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 finally made it into the normal sibling camp.
2: Yeah, finally in that normal sibling category of oh, we're arguing with each other. We don't we don't yeah. quite agree on something. This is yeah horribly nice.
1: <laughs> I love all that. And I just, again, I just I think it's incredible that they now form a part of who you are and your sense of self. How have your parents taken to your relationships with your siblings?
2: I don't know. I've always felt a little bit weird about it all, actually. Go on. And I know they don't feel like it, but I've, as they've said to me and we've had conversations about it, but you will always have that feeling of underlying respect i have so much respect for my adoptive family for what they've done for me the extended family all of that they've all been massive parts of my lives especially my aunties and my cousins and to the point where i don't i don't refer to my cousins as cousins they're my brothers Mm. and um i've always felt this weirdness of like i want to involve them but will they feel a type of way about it and i think more and more as I've become an adult I've felt much more comfortable doing it but I think growing up I just always kept the two halves completely separate and that is that kind of split identity kind of this is the person I am in that.
1: You're talking about the relationships with your siblings versus your adopted parents.
2: Yeah and it's that kind of I'm with with this family I'm this person with this family I'm that person and it's like this family, the birth family, know me when I'm young and going through all the yeah. trauma. And this family know me when I'm dealing with the trauma and being horrible with trauma and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know personally how I'd bring those two halves of myself. To, I've got to bring those two halves of myself together before I can bring it together in the real, real world. Do you know what I mean?
1: Here's, here's the thing, right? And mm-hmm. we all have our stories. And for me, I have tensions that I'm still grappling with. Yeah. But for you, there is no pressure to do anything, right? You you know, if you decide that these are different parts of your 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 life that you that may never interact, that's okay. If you decide that you want them all in the same room with you on your birthday <laughs> and have a big party, that's also okay. I mean I, I tell think... you,
2: my biggest problem, Ashley, is uh mm. I'm so impatient. <laughs> I, I like. I want it all done yesterday. You want you want
1: to you want to work it all out now.
2: Yeah, I want it all done yesterday. I can't just turn a page and have it done. Well,
1: this is where life is
2: often different from the comic books,
1: isn't it? It it, it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job, and it. I actually say big respect for taking the time because mm. the worst thing we can do when when we're talking about family and relationships and and our identity, the worst thing we can do is fake it or Put, put a plaster on a wound you know we have to give it time to heal and actually that's the best thing we can do and and you know what we may never get the sense of um conclusion and the sense of 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 resolve that we want as you do in the comic book but
2: that's okay too yeah yeah completely like, i think for me i've kind of come to a resolution that certain things will will go unanswered but I, it's like i've picked my yeah. my call 3 that will definitely be answered by the time I kick the bucket. Go and what are they? What are those? So the core three for me are I would like to know my father's identity, mother's identity and be able to raise some sort of a family myself and correct oh. the wrongs that were done to me. Like a lot of adopted people. <laughs>
1: Jamal, honestly, mate. And I, I can only wish you the best with those three, those three goals. And, and I'm sure you'll do them.
2: Oh, yeah. But, the, but all those other questions, just for me, I think I need to just come to a resolution that maybe they just won't fully be answered yeah. ever. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to come to terms with. But I think it's been one of the greatest weights off my shoulder is to take yeah. off a thousand questions and just leave it with three.
1: And also what I would say, not again, not that I'm here to give advice on how you live <laughs> your life, but actually, you know, we, as well as gaining a sense of who we are from, you know, our connections and we're and our families, we also forge a sense of who we are. We can also recreate oh, a sense yeah. of who we are. And so actually... I don't need my biological dad to tuck me in bed at night and read me a bedtime story <laughs> for my life to be complete or for me to have a really healthy identity. You know, my identity is premised on the interests that I have, the aspirations I have for my life and the people I love. And that is just as valuable as, you know, the connections that we seek to excavate from our past. And, Definitely. and it sounds like you're you're living a really wholesome life. I mean, look, we could we <laughs> could <like> chat <laughs> for ages. But how does your past and all of those connections impact your present sense
2: of who you are? It's it impacted me quite significantly, I would say, because as a kid, my biggest dream was always I, I want to be a musician. I want to see the lights. I want to be on that big stage because because music mm. always brought me the biggest happiness in life, and it I think. I was quite selfish in those goals, but I mean also not selfish because happiness is not a selfish thing.
1: Why do you say selfish?
2: I've always had this thing in life. Whatever I do, it has to be in the betterment of man. And it's why I really got into the sciences as a kid.
1: That is not that doesn't sound selfish.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean like but I, I could I didn't see myself and it was when I hit my early twenties and I was finishing uni and stuff, and it's when I started realizing, I don't think I can achieve that goal, that core goal with my music. I think I could do something better, being an influence within how the care system and how they are influenced and run and how they are put together and how adopted people's voices are heard. And the biggest thing about for me when I was a kid is I never felt heard as an adopted child. So I think one of the most important aspects in adoption now is to give young people the biggest voice we can in adoption and hear what they have to say.
1: It's fairly clear how your past, at least in terms of your experiences, is impacting your, your present. Let's quickly touch on um your your cultural and and, and racial heritage. I mean <laughs>
2: it's it's always been a a weird one, being a mixed race child, um, as you'll probably know, you you can somewhat get it from both sides. Mm. So it's, I think in, for me, it hit a head uh, early high school when I just, I couldn't really understand why I was not white enough and not black enough and, All of that stuff, and so it just became this thing of, well, you're neither, you're mixed race, you are who you are. It's pointless to listen to these comments because, realistically, if they're making them, they didn't want to be in your life anyway. <laughs> Do you know, what I mean, did, so... did your
1: did your adoptive parents help you get a sense of your cultural heritage?
2: Massively. So my parents in their younger lives are massive, massive, massive activists and did a lot. Well, one of my parents did a lot with women's aid, brought a mother and child over uh, to escape various things and set them up lives here.
1: So they were quite instrumental in helping you?
2: Uh, very instrumental. They've been quite an impact in black communities themselves do you know what I mean and been quite big figures in helping black families from other countries come over here and set up lives and the same with um, helping women with um, women's aid so this whole sense of putting other people before yourself and being a part of the community and being a figure of helping is a very big part of my life and my upbringing as well it's always been A mantra of my life and big figure of how things should be, and I think, yeah, they definitely helped me navigate the black portion of my life and gave me the doors to walk through to find my own identity within black community and how I would, yeah, approach that definitely. If you adopted
1: a child in the future, how do you think you would support them to understand their identity, and that's obviously really significant because you've had your own experience.
2: Well, I think. My first thing I would try and do is get them in a room with other adopted people (laughs) and I, I know they tried it with me as a kid and I know it didn't necessarily work with me but I think it was one of the biggest things that opened my eyes to not being alone and I think it's one of the strongest things that can affect an adopted child. So you're talking identity. about... Is, is that feeling yeah, of being alone?
1: Adoptive children having a chance to meet other people in their position.
2: Yeah. And ha- have, having a sense of togetherness with other adopted individuals. I mean, and I say this as someone that, is, that has been adopted quite young and doesn't have the strongest memory of being in foster care. So...
1: Do you think all children who are adopted in the future should know their life story should know their cultural heritage and would it help them growing up
2: I think they should have an understanding of their adoptive story but obviously some of those details can be a bit much yeah but I think culture is such a strong um, thing of what people are in their society I mean you you talk to someone and the first thing they'll tell you is where they're from what their background is it's true you need to have an understanding and or at least just know where you're from um, just to feel normal in a conversation these days. I suppose it's more about how a young person's taught that stuff,
1: the sensitivity around it, than whether or not they should do it. I think I think that's the point. Just to wrap up, what do you hope adoption looks like in the future for adopted people? And what would you like to see change?
2: <laughs> that is a biggie. So I think a lot more transparency would be good and a lot more information to prospective adopters as to what they're potentially getting themselves into the that it is a fact of they will have an identity placed somewhere else in another family and it won't be a case of control alt delete here's your new family everything's forgotten I think that's one of the biggest changes
1: can I just say on that point I think that's really significant the whole issue of identity goes both ways it's not just the identity of the young person that gets changed when they're put in a new family but as I think you've touched on the identity of the parents change they are now tethered to another family which becomes a bigger part of their family and and actually we don't hear that enough do we
2: no definitely not
1: oh well look I could talk to you (laughs) for so much longer Jamal but honestly um Given that we haven't met in person, I think that uh, this has been a really personal and um, and moving chat. So thank you for being so
2: open. Yeah, definitely. It's been really nice. Really nice to get to know you. Oh, likewise. Well,
1: hopefully we can meet in person at some point.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'll have to uh, come down south, brave it. Yeah. Well, brave yeah. the... Uh the tube <laughs> yes or if i'm in leagues i will hit
1: you up look, oh yes <laughs> i think that just about finishes us up for today so thank you for coming on Lovely. Once again and all the best uh with with with, with life and, and and your own family yeah, you too. thank you cheers pal speak soon
0: see you later Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. PAC UK is the country's largest independent adoption support agency and works with all of those affected by adoption and other forms of permanent care to provide advice, support, specialist therapy and counselling. For more information, please visit www.pac-uk.org or call 020-7284-5879.